Here we go, here we go. Welcome to Police Pod Talk. Whoop, whoop, it's the police. Don't look in your rearview mirror. This podcast covers the latest police news along with hitting the hot topics you've been talking about all week. I'm your host, Cleveland. Thank you for joining us. Hey folks, welcome back again to Police Pod Talk. This week, I have a special guest with me, and her name is Andrea Schrader. Andrea Schrader, you can say hello to the people out there. Hello, everyone. All right, they can hear you loud <laughs> yeah, and clear. good. <laughs> okay, today Andrea's going to be talking about her daughter, Mariah Herport, right? Right. Okay, yeah. and she's going to explain what happened to Mariah, and then we'll get into some other questions maybe along the way, but she wants to tell what happened and uh, talk about her daughter, Uh, Andrea, you go right ahead. Mariah Catherine Herport is my firstborn daughter. She was born on October 17th, 1989. I had her when I was 20. I found out I was pregnant when I was 19, and my fiancé and I got married very young. She was actually born on the day of the San Francisco earthquake. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that. Back in um, 1989, it was a big, one of their biggest earthquakes they've ever had since their early one. So I say she kind of came... You know, out with a with a bang. You know, <laughs> she took forever too. Okay, I remember. But um, but so she was born on October seventeenth, nineteen eighty nine, and unfortunately, twenty seven years later, um, I lost my daughter on October twenty ninth, just after her twenty seventh birthday, to um, a heroin overdose. She became um, addicted to heroin the last five months of her life. It was it was a horrible horrible time because she overdosed on the 21st of October. I remember that day like it was yesterday. I remember um, when um, I got the call. I did, couldn't, didn't get a hold of her at all that day. You know, I usually talk to her every day. We were very, very close. Even through her addiction to heroin, we were very, very close. Um, I never tried to treat her any different because of my experience of going through an addiction with my other daughter, Taylor. She had been a year clean from alcohol, and she was only 22 years old. She started drinking at like 17 and in and out of jail, so it wasn't anything I was unfamiliar with. I knew, like, she came, she was honest with me. She started to, um, let me just kind of go back a little bit. When Mariah was a teenager, yeah, she experimented with drugs. She got pregnant very young and had her first daughter when she was 16, but she was never really, she wasn't ever really addicted to anything. She was going through, at the time, when she became addicted, her and her boyfriend, long-term boyfriend, had broke up. This was the father of her third child. She has three children altogether. And it was a very messy breakup. She moved, her and the girls moved out with uh, a friend of hers. She moved in with a good friend of hers. Then she ended up moving in with another friend where she met this guy. Actually, she reconnected with a guy that she knew from high school who was also addicted to heroin. And I remember she called me and said, oh, I, I met this, saw this guy again, and I'm so excited. He wants to go out with me. And she told me, I said, well, what's he do? And she said, well, he's living in a halfway house right now. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> you know, because with my experience with Taylor, I, I became pretty knowledgeable of, like, the heroin epidemic and what was going on. I was also in school at the time getting my bachelor's degree in criminal justice. So that's my whole goal was I wanted to work with people that had 
issues with substance use disorder. And I wanted to see a change. I was always big against like, I don't, we can't arrest our way out of this. So it's very, very familiar. So when she became addicted, she started using with this young man. Two weeks later, this was in, at the end of May, she said it was the first time she ever tried heroin. She told us, I'm addicted. You know, so it, her whole life just spiraled, like immediately. She went from working, you know, having a good job to having nothing. You know, she had just bought a new minivan for her and her girls. But before you know it, she was out stealing all kinds of stuff. Just unbelievable, you know. And living in hotels and, you know, she, she lost her van. Her, she lost kids all in a matter of three months. Just spiraled. And then on, I remember it was around her birthday. I think it was the Wednesday. She overdosed on a Friday, so it was the Wednesday. It was a couple days after her birthday. Picked her up. She asked me if I could pick her up. She really wanted to get out of what she was in by this time. She could said, I just can't do this anymore, Mom. You know, I want to get my girls back. I want to, you know... I got to get my life together. And I, I do believe she really wanted to. And I said, well, you know, you go to that rehab in two weeks. We had her set up to go to rehab up in South Bend. It was the same place her sister went. And um, I said, you're going to get your life together. She had found somebody that was willing to take her in, and it was close to our house. And it was, so she, it was also close to her older daughter, because her older daughter was living with my mom. My mom had her. We thought everything was going to be okay. And we're going to get, we're going to get, she's going to get better. And... I picked her up that day. We had, I gave her a card that was from my grandma and it had some money in it. And I remember we were driving around and she grabbed my hand and she said to me, "Um, Mom, there's something I want to tell you. She goes, I overdosed the other night. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, don't tell me that. You know, she goes, I'm okay. I, I was fine. I don't know how they brought her back, but she said it was really scary. And she said, There's something I want to tell you. And she said, If, if something happens to me, she goes, I want, I, I don't want to be cremated like I did before. I want to be buried in Lindenwood Cemetery because she loved that cemetery. We have family out there and she would take the girls out there and we'd go on walks and she'd take pictures. That's something she'd love to do. She was like an amateur photographer. She was a beautiful artist. And she said, and I said, oh, Maura, I don't talk like that. That's not going to happen. You know, she said, can we stop at the gas station, you know, before you drop me off? And can I get a pack of cigarettes? She always got two monsters to drink and a pack of uh, cigarettes. And I said, sure, we can stop. She goes, I have my own money, you know, because she had cash from grandma. And uh, she went into the gas station, came back out. She goes, I put the rest of the money in your gas tank. I said, why'd you do that, Mariah? She goes, because I don't want grandma or anyone to ever think that I spent any money on drugs, that her, my birthday money on drugs. It was so weird that this happened that day because she was more honest with me than she'd ever been in that whole four and a half months she was using. And she, she said, Mom, there's never been a day that I didn't use. I lied to you. I want you to know that I never sold my body for it. She goes, but I did steal, because that's something she was doing. And I pulled up, getting ready to drop her off. And she looked at me, and she said, um, can you take me to McDonald's? I said, oh, Mariah, I got to get somewhere. You know, I would. And we had, I was already getting ready to drop her off. And she was like, please. And she used to put her lip out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I said, Mariah, you know I would, but I do have to get somewhere right now. But, you know, you're going to be living right over by me and Mima. That's what she called my mom, Mima. And you're going to, you know, you're going to go to rehab in a couple of weeks. Everything's going to be good. And she was getting ready to, like, her, the woman that she knew was a, the mother of a friend of hers said that she could go stay with her, was getting ready to pick her up, too, and get her stuff. And she was going to move in over there. I remember she got out, and she, she looked good that day. She had lost a lot of weight, you know. 
moving around, being on the streets, basically. You know, she lost some weight, but she looked real pretty, and she smelled good that day. And I saw her walking, and it was like the end of the day where the sun's just kind of shining down, you know, on her. And I said, come here. Get back over here. And I gave her this big hug, and I don't know. I just felt like something in my heart, you know, I knew, you know. Now looking back in Mm -hmm. retrospect, Mm -hmm. you know. And I hugged her so tight, and um, I said, I love you. And that was the last time I saw her. Because two days later was when, at like about 1 o'clock in the morning, we got a call that she was in the hospital and that she had overdosed. Or that she was found unresponsive on St. Mary's. That's what the thing was. But we knew that it must have been an overdose. Mm -hmm. Who called you? My mom and my daughter, Taylor, were trying to get a hold of me. I had fallen asleep on the couch because... I couldn't, I didn't know, I didn't talk to her all day, but I had her on Find My iPhone where I could see. And I, I had looked and showed her last location at about 11, it was about eight or nine o'clock was at Meyer. And I thought, oh, she's stealing. You know, she, I knew, you know, she would steal from a Meyer somewhere else and then go take it back to another Meyer or Walmart or whatever, you know, to, Mm -hmm. to support her habit. And I figured that's what she was doing. But then a little bit later on at about 11.30 or 12, I looked and I saw, oh, her her phone, she's at St. Joe Hospital. Well, I knew she had like a little bit of a something infection on her arm because she was an intravenous drug user. Right. Right. So um, she had had to go back for antibiotic treatments. And she was usually doing it at DuPont. But I thought, well, maybe she's there getting that antibiotic treatment she needs. It just never, I never put two and two together that, you know, that something serious was wrong. But here she had overdosed. I think the 911 call was at like right at 10 o'clock. So they, what the, what I had found out later, the hospital had turned her phone on and they were able to get into it to call relatives and people. Right. So they tried to call me, but for some reason my phone was on do not disturb. I don't know how it got on do not disturb. I must accidentally hit a button or something. And I remember waking up to my, they finally called my husband because I had fallen asleep on the couch. And he came out and said, Andrea, everybody's trying to get a hold of you. Something's wrong with Mariah. And I just, it, it's like you're in slow motion. You know, you're going, when you hear that, I remember trying to get clothes to get dressed and I couldn't think of what to get, you know. And I remember walking into the hallway and I just collapsed. And thank God my husband was behind me and he grabbed me. He's like, you've got to get up. you got to go. You, you, you can't, you can't, you can't hold it together. And I did. And my mom came and picked me up. I, I know I made a couple calls. I called Taylor, my, my, you know, her sister, my daughter. And I called my mom and she's like, I'm on my way. Cause my mom and I live real close by to each other. So she came and we, she picked me up and I remember walking. It was a crisp night, you know, like it is now out. And I remember walking into the to the ER and just seeing her laying there and it, it's it's not a nice sight to see what what had happened is she overdosed and I don't know if CPR was given to her or not but obviously wasn't given to her right away because I think she would have not been in the state she was in we were told she had a five percent chance of making it they don't know how long she went without you know oxygen to her brain the, he, the doctor said there's been three or four different stories we can't get the truth out of whoever was with her. I do know I did talk to the gentleman that dropped her off there. So she was going to this house to use, basically. I don't know if it was a trap house. I have no idea, you know, what it was. The f- different stories we got was, well, oh, she felt sick, so they, they put her out on the porch. Then another story was they acted like they didn't know her. You know, they didn't know who she was. And I know there was a death investigation, and the girl denied even knowing her. 
but I remember a couple days before that, I had talked to her on the phone, and I said, who are you with? And she said, mentioned this girl's name. I'm with her, you know. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a horrible, long week. We spent in the hospital with her, hoping for and praying for a miracle. But unfortunately, after three neurologists, all these different tests, PET scan, everything, you name it, there was just no brain activity, and we had to, uh, on October 29th, we took her off life support and uh, said our goodbyes to her. She was surrounded by myself, my mom, her oldest daughter, two or three of her closest friends, her dad, and her her ex-boyfriend was there with her, too, because he was, you know, he was very concerned about her, too. It was a, It was a horrible week, an awful thing to go through to lose your child. It doesn't define who she was those last few months. So when you said that she was going to a party or at a house, did yeah. you ever find out whose house that was? I did. Um, I actually talked to a neighbor about a year later. Like I kind of became my own little detective, amateur detective. You know, I, I became a little obsessed with it, but who wouldn't as a parent? You know, I just wanted to know what happened, and I still don't know what happened. So what did you find out? What I, the few things I did find out over the, over the couple years was that she had gone to a friend of ours on the police department contacted him because she said she had some information like three or four days before she overdosed. I know that there was a gentleman that my ex-husband knew that said he could maybe see what he could find out, you know, um, you know, find out the truth. We never really got a clear story, but I do know this guy said that he had heard word on the street she was given a hot shot. And I'm not like saying that this couldn't happen to her on her own. She knew the risk of using, you know. But I know that a hot shot is like a lethal dose on purpose. You know, maybe she was getting ready to rat on somebody. I don't, you know, I don't know to this day what happened. I, j- I just know that she's gone and that her girls don't have her anymore. And we don't have her anymore. And I wish she was still here. I kind of took all that anger and that um, that knowledge that I already had experienced with my other daughter and with her, and I just decided I didn't, if this could happen to her, because a few months prior to her using, if you would have told us Mariah's going to become a heroin addict, an intravenous drug user, and lose everything, we would have been like, no, not Mariah. I mean, was she a pain in my butt? Yes. But she was like living a domestic lifestyle at the time. I also believe that she probably used heroin that first time with the guy she was seeing, thinking, oh, I'll just use it once. And, you know, she was kind of like a chameleon, you know. She would go with the flow, you know, kind of. Right. And I think, and that's what she told me. She's, I remember that the after, when I talked to you about that day that I had with her. That be- I considered that beautiful two hours I had driving with her and going. It was almost like God intervened. To, and she was so honest with me, you know, telling me what she wanted for her funeral, you know, all of that. And I, you know, even though you, as a parent you don't want to hear that, it's reality, you know, and like I said, fentanyl was just starting to become like a big problem then in our area. And like I said, I took that, I took all of that knowledge and my passion for wanting to help others and realized I didn't want her, her death to be in vain. I wanted other mothers and, and family members and friends to know that you're not alone. You know, so I, I went to like this, um, like a conference downtown. I remember Captain Hunter was speaking there and he had been a great help to us during um, her death investigation. I had given him her phone. Good things came out of that. They were able, I think, to catch some, you know, drug dealers. 
some of her drug dealers because people drug dealers were actually texting her while she was laying in the hospital dying and I, I gave it to them because I wanted, you know, I wanted to get these people off the streets if we can save a few lives, you know. Like immediately in the hospital, I remember whispering in her ear and saying, I'm going to do everything I can possible as a mom to help others with this and to educate others. And I did. I started doing that right away within like in December of 2016. I went to this and I know that uh, Kevin used her face and at the end of his presentation and said, this is somebody, you know, this is Mariah and she lost her life, you know, to an overdose. And I remember raising my hand shortly. They had like open questions. And I said, well, I'm the mother of Mariah. Well, the next thing you know, one of the officers that was there speaking or helping said to go up, go up on stage. So I went up on stage and um, the new, the news was there at the time. And I just poured my heart out. The next thing you know, News cameras were in my face, and I was talking, and I thought, you know what? I can make a difference. Hmm. And ever since then, I did. And I, we had the, I helped organize the first Overdose Awareness Day, worked with the Lutheran Foundation and other community leaders and partners, and we put that on together, and we did that for two years, and then I kind of took it over, and I've been doing that ever since with the help of Java and all the other organizations. So I feel like I've, even though none of this will ever bring her back, at least I can, and you know, I spoke at schools, I've done everything. And it, it just, that's what helps me heal. It has always helped me heal, speaking to, about her, sharing her story, letting people know, letting other families and friends know that they're not alone. That is what, and we have to save lives, you know, because like I, I always agree, you can't arrest your way out of this problem. And I'm glad to see when you look back from 2016 to now, all the different things that have started and happened. And I feel like I kind of had a part of that because I, you know, I was on um, what used to be the mayor's task force for opioid, the opioid task force, and we turned it into, the abbreviation was FATOS is what it was called, but it's the, I can't remember what it stood for, (laughs) but we always, the Lutheran Foundation helped head this, and we had all the community leaders, people from Parkview, from judges, everybody was on this committee, and we made a lot of difference, and we made a lot of changes. And I'm glad, I was so glad to be a part of that. The question in my mind, and I'm sure someone's thinking this too, that last day when you were meeting with your daughter, Mm -hmm. riding around in the car, Mm -hmm. where were her daughters at then? Um, My oldest living daughter, now Taylor, took the two little ones. Um, We actually went through our attorney, and Taylor got power of attorney over them. And uh, we also were working with DCS as a with a treatment like a treatment plan or whatever with Mariah to try to we were working with DCS too so everything was on the up and up there was an open DCS case mm-hmm. because there was an issue between her and her ex and the police were called and she admitted to the officer that she was using a drug user so and then they they were placed with Taylor. So you said you've been doing a lot of going out, talking to different groups. Did you do this on your own, or were you connected with Java, and then Java got you started? Or did you do this, and then you connected yourself? Uh, exactly. Okay. I did this and connected myself with Java. Um, I actually reached, Teresa and I connected because I she lost her son to you know a fentanyl overdose. And so I connected with her. And that's how I got involved with Java. Mm-hmm. So, so you had a warning from your daughter that she was starting to use heroin. Mm-hmm. You didn't see all of a sudden her starting to decline or her her weight change and a uh, different look. She just flat out told you, mm-hmm. "I'm using heroin." Right. And then once she told you that, did you jump in to give her mm-hmm. help? Then, yep. She, yeah, we did. We were like, 
we gave her every option to get help. Pretty much failed in the beginning. Where did this boyfriend go? The one that got her started on it. Where did he end up going? Well, like I know he got started due to an injury in high school. He was an athlete. And unfortunately, he ended up passing away. He did get clean and um, after... He did get clean after she passed away, but I think I, he ended up passing away too. I don't know if it was what the circumstances were. It was right around the time when COVID started, okay. and I heard it was complications of COVID. Maybe his you know, immune system or whatever just wasn't what it was from the years of using. I don't know. What about the three grandchildren? Where are they? The youngest is with, unfortunately, not unfortunately, with her aunts because... She stayed with her father, but her father has since became a drug user. So um, now she's with her aunts, which she's in really, we get to see her all the time. Each child had a different father. And unfortunately, the fathers are not really in their lives. Um, And then the middle one, Ava, she's with my daughter, Taylor. She's always been with Taylor. They were always very, very close. And then Aaliyah has stayed with my mom. Okay. And Leah's Leah's doing wonderful. She's she's actually her little advocate herself. Hmm. So, okay, yeah. So, so she, when you say that, what does that mean? Well, um, she's a, she, back when she was a junior. She's a senior year, this year, getting ready to graduate from Snyder. She was accepted into Amp Lab, which is a great program, and I think it's like about business and innovation. And her and her group that they started a non for profit called Teens for Overdose Awareness. Hmm. She's always wanted to do things in the community and help. And um, she's always has been um, at our Overdose Awareness Day events. They actually, their group hosted this year's or Overdose Awareness Day in August. They are harm reduction. That's what their group is about, kind of peer-to-peer. You know, if you need fentanyl test strips, they send them out. They ended up getting a grant, $10,000 grant, to help their non-for-profit. And I guess at the end of this year, if they want to continue the non-for-profit, they can, or they can hand it over to another you know, group of students when they graduate. I think that's what can happen. So what's her plan? I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes it gets to her, and I, I understand that because it, it gets to me too. There are times I just have to take a break from it. You know, grief does funny things to you. You just, you know, it's been seven years, and I, I kind of have gone through my phases, you know, of, advocating and speaking and then maybe not doing anything for a while because you have to grieve you have to feel that sadness and you have to take care of yourself you know you do they can get to her where she just says it's all too much and I know she spoke at this year's overdose awareness day she wrote a she had to write something for a college paper and she actually read that and I don't think there was a dry eye in the place she wrote a beautiful letter about her mom and the day she passed passed away She's a brilliant girl. I'm very proud of her. Good. (laughs) Yeah. Good. So with all this changes in you, the grief and the the good days and the bad Mm -hmm. days, are you talking to a counselor? I went to counseling for a long time. I had a therapist. Um, I actually started my own support group. I had that for three years, and we used to meet at the library for anybody that, you know, was struggling with substance use disorder or had a family member. COVID happened, and then uh, we quit meeting. I tried to do the online thing. It just didn't work out. Not enough people would join. So at the time, I'm not in counseling. Um, I probably should get back in counseling. I'm going to probably need it. I think therapy is wonderful because the, the two or three years I was in therapy, it, it helped me a lot. It helps you set boundaries. and 
um, helps you with grief and, and understand that you're not alone and that, every, that you're okay. I probably need to be in counseling again. doesn't hurt. Okay, so what about your three granddaughters? Um, the first thing we did is we, put, we went to Aaron's house, and that was great. Um, my granddaughter, Ava, the middle one, who's 13, yes, she's in counseling, and so is Hannah. But Aaliyah, mm-mm, she's not. <laughs> she's not. She probably could use it because she, I feel like she's very quiet a lot and spends a lot of time in her room, but I think a lot of teenagers do that. Maybe she has her own way of, you know, this the advocacy that she does and her passion about that. Maybe that helps her a little bit, but she's not, I, she's never went to counseling, only to Aaron's house. Okay, as a mother who's experienced this, and it's a horrible thing. Horrible. What would you tell a parent listening to watch for in their child? Well, being that she was an adult, what I saw was um, asking for money. That's one of the first things. Behavior starts to change, lying. Pay attention to the friends they hang around with and what they're doing. Also, um, just don't be afraid to talk to them. I know it's it's difficult because teenagers can be, you know, it's so hard sometimes to get them to open up. But if you can meet them on their level... You know, I taught high school for after I got my degree for a few years. I was a sub, and, and then I was hired for a short time and taught on an emergency permit. I think if you can just meet them at their level and not come across maybe, I don't know, like not punitive, you know, you just got to be able to, like that would always be a great way for me when I was a teacher to share my experience when the opportunity came up with the students. That, if they know that that you understand that's, that's, I think that's half the battle, you know, even if they're quiet, you know, and don't say anything. I remember coming back to my desk and finding a little note on my desk. Thank you so much for sharing my sister, you know, a heroin addict or my, my mom died of an overdose, you know, things like that. Or just they would flat out come at, in at lunch and talk to me. So I think you just have to be willing to meet them on their level. And, you know, there are little signs to look for. But I would definitely say, and also reach out for help for them. Get the proper help for them, no matter what that is, looks like. You know, there's all different things. There's, there is help out there. I don't know how much help there is for teenagers as far as treatment, but um, I know that there is help out there. Talk to your school. Talk to Talk. You have to communicate. What am I forgetting to ask you? I would just like to share a little bit more about my daughter and who she was. Go ahead. She was a very, very intelligent, smart girl. She did not graduate from high school, but she did end up going back and getting her GED, and she placed second highest in her class as far as her score. By one point, she missed it, or she would have been like the like valedictorian of her graduating class for her GED. And she was a type of student that didn't have to study. She just would ace it. And that must be where Aaliyah kind of got that got that gene from her. She was like, we used to call her the walking encyclopedia. She loved history. She loved world history was her absolute favorite. She could draw. She was so, she was a beautiful artist, amateur artist. She, anytime we had birthday events, anything going on, Mariah, will you draw this? Yeah, I'll do the poster board. I'll do it all. She, very creative. She loved her kids. She adored her kids. She loved photography. She would go to Lakeside Park and take all their pictures because a lot of times she didn't, she was a single mom, you know, she didn't have a lot of money. Every Christmas, every birthday, even if she didn't have a lot of money, she made sure you had a gift 
whether it was from the dollar store or whatever she did. She loved Christmas and Halloween. Those were her favorite holidays. Mm. Halloween's tough for us because that's right around the time she passed away. But I always try to celebrate that because she would want that. You know, it's hard. You have to sometimes make new traditions. She also, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to tell you about her. But I think also she, like I said, she was a pain in the butt. She had a hard time following through and procrastinating and all of that. You saw how when she had got her birthday money, what she did, you know, she put the rest in my gas tank because she didn't want grandma to think that she would ever spend that on drugs. That right there tells you the kind of person she was. She was a good person, good friend. She had lots of, lots of friends. I know that she was very loved and very, and she's very loved and very missed by her girls and by her whole family. And that's what gets me mostly is when I, when there's a milestone, my daughter just turned eight, or my granddaughter just turned 18 a couple weeks ago. And she was driving my car the other day because she's got her permit and she waited a long time to get it. And I got tears in my eyes. We were driving home and I I thought, this should be your mommy. This should be your mommy sitting here. She'd be so happy. That's what I want to say about her. She was a good person. Well said. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing. You're welcome. Thank you so much for sharing about your entire family. I appreciate it. Yeah, I do. um, I don't mind. I love to share. (laughs) Good. And I hope someone listening can understand what you're going through. Maybe they're going through it themselves. Right. And they know that you're out there. You're still part of Java. Yeah. And they can always reach out to you. They can find me on Facebook, too. It's A-N-D-R-E-A, Andrea. My middle name is U-L-L-Y-O-T, and then Schrader, spelled like Schroeder. (laughs) (laughs) You can always reach out to me on Facebook. I don't care what time of night, anytime, if you... I just want people to know they're not alone. Right. Right. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And uh, I hope people do reach out to you. Yeah, always can. Thank you. Folks, thank you for listening in to Police Pod Talk, and we will catch you again next week. Thanks again for hanging out with us. Remember, you can always go to policepodtalk at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook at Cleveland Junior or Police Pod Talk. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.